This is uh, Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. I'm Elisha Sessions. Today, we'll hear what ties together this. It's like a, a physical high. And this. Reified, corporatized, liberalized, neutralized, asexualized, regenerized pop reflection. And this. I will never be hip. I'm hot, and you're not. But if you want to hang with me, I'll give it one shot. That was uh, that was from Teen Witch, uh, 1989 classic. Uh, it was one of the one, really one of the best scenes in the film. Uh, that was uh, called Top That, obviously. Um, this week we have a special edition for you. For the next hour, the Lollards of Pop becomes popular. Don't worry, well, you'll you'll still be only like one of five people who listen to us. But what, what I mean. <laughs> Is that uh, Tom Ewing is in the studio with us uh, to, to talk about the latest entry in his his staggering project to write uh, about every number one single in the history of the British pop charts. The project is called Popular. It's on freakytrigger.co.uk, and it's become something of a phenomenon with each entry drawing spirited and, well, sometimes heated discussions uh, in the comment section. Um, but uh, before we get to what the latest entry actually is, Tom, welcome. Hello. And thank you for joining us. Uh, we also have with us Dub Dub D. Uh, Lord, hello. L- L- Lord uh, Su- Sukrat, I think, or the artist formerly known as Mar- Mark Sinker. <laughs> Hi. Uh, should I, I should reply to this in lots of different voices. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the blue corner, it's Cat Stevens. Hello. A regular here on the Lollards Pop. And uh, the force behind the vids. Are all right. I am. Hasn't been updated in like a week. Shut up. <laughs> I've been busy. It's a blog. It's not meant to be updated. Oh, well, right. <laughs> right. Um, well, anyway, before we uh, get into what connects those little bits of audio that I played for you just uh, at the beginning, Tom, can you tell us a little bit about Popular? Maybe you can tell us how long ago you started it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I started in September 2003. I think so it's been going for seven years now um i did not anticipate it would be seven years i thought it'll all be over by well i didn't think it'll all be over by christmas but i thought it might all be over in a you know <clears throat> a year or two maybe three yeah because i started off at quite a pace because i wasn't really researching anything when i was writing about the 50s stuff it was just kind of listen to a song write any old rubbish but then gradually um we started to get people reading and um and commenting and such like, and it kind of grew into a little community. And so the pace then slowed because also I got into things that I, music that I kind of thought, well, look, I need to say something interesting about this rather than just stuff off the top of my head. So those early entries are all fairly fairly basic. And, and what's quite good now is that... I guess got, people start caring a little bit more, don't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, once it gets an audience, you start kind of taking more care over it. And it's now got an audience so i try to post kind of two or three a week and we have a a a cross-generational span of commenters some of whom we're now on the 90s we've just got into the 90s um and we have some people who were who were kids at the time in the 90s and we have people who were already uh Past it. Past it, yeah yeah already (laughs) square and disapprove of the the new sounds that the 90s crew 
Cat is one of the 90s crew. Cat's one of the 90s crew. And we we have other people um, who are older than Cat. Not that that correlates necessarily (laughs) to... uh, but can you just tell me? I feel like well, I mean, would it be fair to say that the that this project um, is as much about uh, is it's as much of an experiment with the internet and with comment culture uh, on the internet as it is anything else? Like, sort of, yeah. I mean, I think it's been quite a successful experiment with comment culture, and I think the general impression that people have of comments on the internet is that they're all horrible and they're kind of. Um, sort of you know full of people who basically come on to to argue and shout and be ad hominem and mean and yeah. what have you and it's very very much to do you know my opinion has always been that you get the comments culture that you kind of ask for and that if you're if you sort of think well i'm doing a blog so i have to be confrontational then people will be confrontational back at you mm-hmm. and it's also uh, another- well that, that that is the sort of i mean you know in the, in in the bid for 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 hits, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's the strategy and, that a lot of people the, use, right? And actually, the kind of bloggers who who complain about comments aren't usually the bloggers who are being confrontational and getting people who are being confrontational back. They kind of occasionally sort of attempt to rise above the fray and and, and sort of you know get high minded, but most of the time they revel in it. And the people who really complain all the time are journalists. And the reason that journalists get hostile commenters all the time is that the commenters are thinking, well, look, this dude is wrong about something and is getting paid for it, and so it really really riles them. Um, and you've you, you know you've immediately got a sort of uh, imbalance of power with the journalist and and their commenters, and that's why it's it, it becomes such a kind of hostile atmosphere, um, or one of the reasons it becomes such a hostile atmosphere. Well, so, you do have a column in the Guardian these days, Tom. So yeah, yeah, but I'm so innocuous in the column in the Guardian. <laughs> I, never, I also didn't read the comments on it. Um, <laughs> the did you hear that, everybody? Sorry. <laughs> yes, I do. I read and engage. It's the, they've, they've just issued a journalistic code, and the first thing you have to sort of the, – the first commandment is you shall engage with your audiences. So I, I feel suitably chastened. <laughs> I haven't really been. Um, but what, what have you learned about – like like what gets – do you like do you think about what gets people going? Does that, is, does that play into how you write your write-ups of these – no, Singles. not really. I, I, I guess some sort of sometimes you think, well, look, this is going to be controversial because I'm giving something. I give everything a mark out of ten, and I think, well, you know, okay, I'm giving this a ten out of ten, and that always gets discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every time I kind of think, this is a this is an exciting theory that people will want to talk about. Then it's kind of the thing that do- doesn't get discussed at all <laughs> in the actual comments, whereas yeah. some kind of throwaway comparison that I made kind of gets sort of thirty people. Yeah, disagreeing or arguing over. So you basically, I, I have a very, very poor radar for what's actually going to get discussed. I'm pretty sure that things will get discussed because they always seem to. But then people come in and they, you know, they want to share their memories of the songs. They want to kind of talk about them themselves. But people tend to spend quite a bit of time talking about other stuff that was going on at the time, like the number two song and just things that didn't even make the chart at all. But that were when this song that was at number one, right? Right. Yeah. I, I'm. And one of the things that that I really like about it is that it's become a vehicle to have kind of almost any conversation about pop. But you can never actually predict on what thread, on what kind of number one entry that the conversation is going to kick off. So the, the the most kind of enormous and sustained conversation about punk, and the legacy of punk that happened on Popular came not on God Save the Queen, which we reviewed because um, we agree with that the, the man suppressed it. Uh, <laughs> But it, in fact, came on uh, on that kind of classic of, of youth rebellion records, J.J. Barry's No Charge, <laughs> uh, which went on for kind of 250 comments of, of people getting really heated about this because somebody somebody had innocuously said, this kind of thing is why punk had to happen. Uh, and boom. boom, comment 20. And like and that, that for, for whatever reason, you know, the, the, the stars, uh, something in the water, the right people being on the internet at the right time, that lit the blue touch paper. Now, are there conversations that you think haven't happened yet that you're waiting for them to, where you're waiting for them to happen and you're just not sure which songs um, are going to happen on? Dreading them. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, there's a few. There was, there, there, you know, you have the occasional song, which is sort of – you have some stuff that's kind of controversial or whatever, and you sort of think, well, there's going to be really obvious positions taken on this, and indeed they are. But um, I, I'm really looking forward to the point at which – a big conversation about hip-hop starts on popular because it hasn't really happened yet because a lot of the people first of all we're still in the age when kind of a lot of there's a lot of rapping on a lot of records but 
not which as we're about to hear but um and as we just heard actually as we just heard yeah yeah but that didn't get to number one sadly the team <laughs> which no. <laughs> no that was a shame I, I just want to point out to everybody there's a little there's a just before the rap you hear a strange kind of um you you heard a strange sound it's sort of yeah and there was some fuzz there was some kind of sort of like an electricity surge that at that moment the teen witch is uh is is touching her magic necklace <laughs> and and turning her best friend, friend into oh, a Oh you mean in, an actual necklace sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to That's also. Nineties thing. Sorry, which we yeah. I, I just want to point out to everybody that Cat is completely <laughs> sozzled right now. She's had she's had like at least a glass of of wine at this point. It was for work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's let's um let's get to uh, let's get to uh, the song, the next song under the microscope in the next. Yeah, uh, it's, it's of not actually the latest entry. It's it's the it's the one that's going to be the latest entry. So this right. discussion is kind of a preview, I guess, okay. of some stuff that might come up in it. And it's so shall I introduce it? Or? Well, I, let's just give it a listen. I yeah, think people are going to know what it is. Um, at the end, I just want to let you know that at the end of this hour, we're all going to give this song a mark out of ten. Mark out of ten, yeah. Of which only mine is the official one. <laughs> <laughs> What are you looking at?
Pistachio, Marlon Brando, Jimmy Dean, on the cover of a magazine, Grace Kelly, hollow jean, picture of a beauty queen, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, dance on air, they had style, they had grace, Rita Hayworth gave good face, Lauren, Catherine, Manitou, Betty Davis, we love you, ladies with an attitude, fellas that were in the mood, don't just stand there, let's get to it, strike the pose, there's nothing to it, Years old in 1990. Are you sure that you weren't a teen witch in 1990? Um, no, I had the necklace though. <laughs> Did you feel that this song was aimed at you? No, I didn't. I thought that Madonna was uh, something aimed at my sister. My sister absolutely loved Madonna, but um, your she, sister's about ten years older. Than my you. sister's about ten years older than me, and as such, she left home in 1990, <laughs> so uh, to go to university and. Uh, so in, she, I associated Madonna with True Blue and Material Girl and all the sort of stuff that my sister was listening to when she was about sort of 15, 14. Mm-hmm. And so I, I saw Vogue on, it must have been the chart show, on the, on the video for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, is this the same Madonna? I mean, she looks so classy and she kind of sounds a bit different as well. And So it seemed like a whole different Madonna to you. It did. And... Obviously, it was the sound of the the song was a, a lot different to um, like like a prayer and uh, all the stuff that had been Madonna had released recently and lots of, of the slow ballads and things that I kind of like associated with because that's what my sister liked playing to me and this was as far as from, from True Blue as you could get really it was banging and it was awesome and it was in black and white yeah. Yeah, well, it, that's it's the it's the ancient uh, it's the ancient glamour of Hollywood. Uh, you know, she's sort of summoning up. No, there, it was it? it was afternoon film on <laughs> yes. Channel Four. If you're eight, that's not perhaps how you see. Black and white is boring. Black and white <laughs> is the bit of Wizard of Oz that you fast forward through until you get to Munchkinland. Well, uh, so um, what did you make of the video uh, besides the black and white uh, bit? Well, when I was eight, eight years old, I probably wasn't that impressed. I was more. Uh, in well, I, I was I was more in favour of just dancing around to it, dancing around the kitchen. We had lots of smooth lino on the floor, so I could do lots of twirls. Mm. And uh, obviously, being eight years old, I was quite sort of flexible, and I could do or bend bend my arms backwards and things. So, doing the actual Vogue moves were pretty easy for me, as seen on in the video. Well, a close approximation. Yeah. Okay, I, I, was, I failed miserably, but you know, it was it was. It, it was awesome, and it was, uh, you know, everyone could strike a pose. Yeah. There, there is nothing to it. This reminds me of my breakdancing days. This is exactly what I did on, on a square of linoleum, you know, a whole, whole deal. I know, especially if you've got lots of um, sock, a pair of socks on that are really sort of slippery, and you can just go... like A bit like your Wonder Woman, but also like you're one of the awesome dancer dudes in the Vogue video, and I love those dudes. There's three male dancers... Yeah, in the Vogue video, I can go on about this for a long time if you want. What? So I will continue. I'm, I mean, d- d- tell me about first of all. Tell me about the three main dudes. Okay. Um. Well, they come in after a long intro. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of a big long setup before you actually see anyone voguing. Yeah. In the Vogue video, um, there's lots of uh, the long intro which we heard there with the strings and like while the beats coming in. Um. And we and we should just say uh, briefly that that isn't the single mix. That's uh, that's actually from the Immaculate Collection. Uh, the song came out originally uh, on in album form on "I'm Breathless," which was the uh, and then they chopped the intro off for the uh, for the single, right? Yeah, right, right. So, so. Um, in in the video during the intro, they are preparing 
for the voguing. They're sort of doing lots of dusting around the house. They're flicking bits of dirt off the banister rail. And, uh, and like, they, like they're servants? Yeah. Well, no. It's like they want everything to be right. I see. It's a, quite a lot of OCD uh, about it. There's much, a lot of control going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they move a little pedestal so it's parallel with the wall, just very slightly. And there's a little, you know, they're made with a sort of feather duster sort of going, no, 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 that's not right. 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 Now, now we are ready. Vogue. So this isn't about sloppiness. This isn't. This is no. This yeah. is very much a control, uh, not just over your environment, but over your own body. Mm-hmm. And by the time the dancers get in there, they're very much. Uh, their movements are very quick, they're very elegant, and they're completely in control. But it also looks so fluid, and it looks effortless. And I was just amazed by all of this. So there's nothing to it, is. Mm-hmm cobblers <laughs> there is nothing to it if you're in your kitchen in your socks however if you want to make an iconic video that everyone remember for well everyone here can remember what i'm talking about yeah. when i say the three dancers going yeah well, I mean, I mean, part of it was just that the things that they were doing with their bodies was something that people really hadn't seen before right well exactly and um Obviously, Madonna is giving a big chunk of her video over to these these three guys because she doesn't appear in that first sequence at all. Madonna doesn't vogue at all until about halfway through. The interesting thing about Madonna's appearance is that she's she pretty much casts herself as the representative of the icons she's talking about. Absolutely. She never says that, and she always... I mean, I think the key line in it is is when she says, um, which one is the one she says, we love you? Betty, Betty Davis. Betty Davis, we love you. And whenever she's doing the last line of the rap, um, it goes from being a central voice on the mic in the middle to a multi-tracked voice all around you. So you only really notice that strongly when you're listening on the headphones. Mm-hmm. But it goes from a, a single voice to a chorus. And it has a very complicated relationship, I think, this song to her audience because her old audience was always very interesting her 80s audience in that she's quite unusual as as being a pop star who appeals to grown-ups teenagers and children and that's really unusual you get people who appeal really strongly to one of those maybe two of those but just across the board I mean, my, Michael Jackson is really the only other person I can think Lady of. Lady Gaga. And, I mean, it, right. it's really, you know, you're talking about single figures, the number of people you can think of who do this. Um, Ringo Starr. I can't remember <laughs> <really. laughs> um, And, Thomas the Tank and I think Vogue is the point where she actually, it's a self-reflexive song in the sense that she's sort of putting at, putting together a manifesto of her over, overall ethic, talking about what she used to be about, which was anyone can do this. Anyone. She dressed in a way that a 14-year-old girl could like afford to put together a version of and be pleased with by themselves. And she danced, although she was a, you know, a proper dancer and a trained dancer and actually a dancer, she danced in a way which was accessible to little kids didn't think, I don't dance like that. It wasn't like ballet or something where you felt you had to be trained or you, if you were imitating, you just did it in your bedroom. It was yeah. like, I know how to... Because it was kind of bouncy and... Especially in Holiday. If you see yes. um, the the video for Holiday is basically a... It looks like a, she's doing a little guest spot on a uh, on a chat show or something. And and she's clearly miming along. And she's just going... And... And just sort of like she's just like jogging on the spot, pretty much, whilst, whilst clicking her fingers and, and with lots of bangles, fishy, fishnetty gloves, and everything. And it's like bloody old woman, <laughs> you're a trained ballet dancer. <laughs> um, let me just uh, bring it over to Tom. Tom, did you like this song when it first came out? Do you remember having um, a feeling about it one way or the other? I was kind of confused by it because as I liked it, but I I thought, well, in terms of what Madonna had just done, she. She just had the Like a Prayer album, which was her kind of big credibility breakthrough. It was the it was the point at which kind of people, you know, first of all she's here to stay. Secondly, she's writing personal songs about herself and all this kind of stuff. And so it was a big step away from the sort of um dance thing. And now I hear Vogue and I think, well, this is actually a really interesting kind of response to that. It's basically saying, look, this is this is equally personal, but it's also enormously controlled, artificial. She's talking about artifice, about posing, about all these kind of things. She's she's saying, I'm not going to be a kind of, you know, I, I, I wasn't like a pop star who's now matured. 
I'm a pop star, but I'm an, an adult pop star and I make pop that is kind of growing up and that is and that's an enormously important it's one of the first singles that really kind of well not not the first single but it's certainly the first single by her that kind of you know unifies all these sort of aspects it's it's, it's as mark says an intensely personal single but i wasn't getting that at the time mm. what what i thought at the time is that i was really interested in it because um because she had big cone-shaped boobs. No, she did. She, did she at this point? That she, was kind of the year after, I think. She does that was the blonde the ambition. Video, she does in the video, but it's to be a, honest, it's the not. The line, beauty's where you find it, not just where, where you, you bump, bump and, and grind, grind it. it. That, she, that is the bit where she's actually fondling the velvet cone-shaped bra. We're going to let but, Kat describe this bit. But I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, but I think, I mean, that was kind of a big part of it. Because I had, as a, as a kind of 11, imagine. sort of 12, 13-year-old boy, I'd fancied Madonna, like at most... You know that that's another aspect of the kind of audience because it wasn't just the the girls who were into Madonna. The boys fancied Madonna, but it was okay to fancy Madonna because she had a she had attitude and she would you know had. A, a, it wasn't a sappy kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't kind of like it wasn't sort of like fancying you know a proper girl. She was obviously a, a you know it wasn't it wasn't yeah it wasn't a, 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 a are you calling her a goer bad thing. <laughs> anti-establishment or yeah. the whole burning crosses stuff that's the thing and i think and, and this was the point at which i suddenly thought well look i'm i don't fancy madonna in, in this kind of thing because i think the, the the whole sort of video is very you know it, it was too grown up for 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 my how old were you taste 17 she um, does wear a see-through top in it not that's quite right at the beginning where she's just it's also where she um, she's kind of looking up to the ceiling and saying, "I am one of these icons. I'm not just yeah. a grown-up." And I, the other thing I thought yeah. is that I didn't really have any particular interest in kind of film or or mm. iconicity or sort of old old Hollywood or anything like that. So yeah. the whole repertoire of images she was using didn't appeal hugely. But I found it. What I found interesting about it was the the danceiness of it. Because I was just starting, having been kind of like put off dance music for 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 the sort of first couple of years of its ascendancy i was just starting to get into it. i was just getting really kind of interested in sort of in house and things and this is her first really kind of housey yeah single even though even though she came out of um i mean the the sort of you know she's famous for sort of coming out of the new york yeah, club the, scene but you don't really hear that in her music so much do you until yeah you you hear a, a bit of what's now called freestyle i guess in some of the right in some of the tracks in the 80s but yeah, no, it's not. She's not like. She's certainly not sort of hardcore in that sense. Um, and in fact, she's more new wave. The very first single she did, uh, "Burning Up" and such like, a, a, a more kind of new wavey. They've got this really mm-hmm. kind of amazing echoey guitar on them, which is like something off a sort of. It's really sort of you know. It's got this kind of New York loft vibe rather than mm-hmm. this New York club vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. So for Vogue, I remember having read about voguing in the NME, that, ah. that journal of record on the uh, on the house scene, which yeah. and it was kind of like and it, it was presenting voguing as this is the next thing that will hit our clubs. So when Madonna came out with Vogue, I felt this kind of in the know thing because I'd read about this kind of thing. So I sort of thought, yes, this is all quite hip and quite. So I was quite excited by it on that level, but I certainly wasn't responding to it like viscerally, or, or I found it quite a cold record. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a very. I think it's just it's. Uh, a very precise and very... I, I mean, it's an interesting record because there's an awful lot going on in it to do with her understanding of her own relationship to her own fans and how that has, in a way, congealed, but that that congealing is something that she can, in fact, use instead of it... What you what you see with a lot of stars or a lot of pop groups is that there's a sort of intense i don't know six seven years where it feels like a story which is and then it reaches this sort of plateau of sameness Mm -hmm. and nobody knows really what to do with that and everyone is kind of pleased that it's reached stability but also a bit sad that it, it they don't know and this is the point where she's actually looking at exactly that and saying okay this is what we can do next i think it is um I didn't really think about this until Tom just said it, but it, it's actually a realisation of some of the things that were being played played around with in the kind of new wave disco era. And I think it is quite interesting that it is something that she raps on because actually there was a lot of songs in the... Not a lot, but there was a small number of songs on the edge of disco in the late 70s where people who weren't really disco stars but were kind of playing around with the idea used a similar kind of vocal delivery where they're not really singing and probably can't sing, but they can do this kind of uh, actorly... Uh, no, that makes it sound very um, 
fabricated. They, they can do this kind of speaking, casual speaking, which is very personalised and characterful and funny and is in a quite a complicated relationship with what disco is actually... There's a song that you brought in that I think possibly illustrates what you're talking about. Is that right? Yes. I think. Am I thinking of the thing that you're thinking about? <laughs> Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Mark? Um, this, is, uh, this is Disco Clone by Christina, right? Yes. From Zay Records. Where yeah. This came out, what? 78. It's the very first record on Z Records. Right. It's the very first record it's on Z. Z E O O one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, here it is. Right, yeah. So I think we get the idea there. Uh, she's a disco clone. Um, it's it's. Um, I 
I would like to put something out, out there uh, about this song. This sort of occurred to me listening to it. Is that it? Well, it posits a very different dance floor than the one that we hear about a lot from uh, the kind of disco and house optimists out there. Um, usually, you're sort of the the ethos is, um, you know, a you know the dance floor is where you can just get away and. It's like a church, this dance floor, and we can just, you know, it's euphoria and it's just like good times. And this is talking about a, 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 a dance floor of clones. It's um, quite depressing. Who are lining themselves up to be sex objects with men who walk in the door of the club. It's, it's like the kind of club that Morrissey wishes he could have not gone to stand on his own and leave with a clone and he goes home with a clone and he wants to die. It's a, <laughs> it's a 70s... Um, uh, satire of um disco rather than it's not rave and I, I know nothing about drugs having never taken any but i suspect the actual chemical ingestion is distinctly different and that's why the mood is different why well, I, I mean well, I th- yeah, the, okay. the tension in this i think is between the musicians are very seriously putting down a proper disco backing yeah, and she is, is doing yeah, this and- this kind of you know, half in and half out. She can't really sing. She has this weird accent, which I think she is actually half English, and I think she grew up in England and then lived in New York, and she actually ended up marrying the um, the head of uh, Zilka Records. So, um, I mean, Z Records, his name's Michael Zilka. Um, so she only made records for quite a short time. Um and uh, I mean, I think that you know the word "clone" is quite a loaded word, which totally everyone making this record would have known. Yeah. Except it's not usually applied to kind of the dizzy blonde that she appears to be playing. I've no idea what she actually looks like. She may not be blonde at all, but she is definitely sounding blonde on this record. And but "clone" doesn't mean that at all. And yet there is something. Yes, there's something quite. Um, almost bitter in the approach to you know um sex is totally available but in order to make it available everyone has to make themselves identical and that's um you know however likely it's being played that's a um a critique of the scene rather than a uh um a dizzy embracement of it so this is this is 1979. You were saying? I think it's released in 78. 78, 79. So I mean, by, by the if we fast forward a decade, um, we get to house music, and we get to, I mean, the kind of ethos that I was talking about of uh, of you know of uh, well that Madonna actually embraces on on Vogue. It makes no difference if you're black or white, if you're a boy or a girl. When the music's pumping, it will bring you new life. Boom! It's like you know, it doesn't matter. All this stuff yeah. that we worry but, about. But the all video day. is telling a kind of the video is telling a different story from the from the lyrics and that because obviously you know you have to be impeccably chiselled. There was there were quite a few. The, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the Pet Shop Boys um, did a video in 1990 for being boring, which was all about the songs, all about kind of you know uh, believing in yourself and like taking opportunities and such like. And the video is is done by Bruce Faber. Yeah, and um, I, I, I I don't know who that is. Uh, he he was he was a kind of fashion. Uh, director. Yeah, he's a film filmmaker, filmmaker who, who makes very sort of fashion plate. F- uh, he made a famous film about um, Chet Baker, and uh, so okay. he liked but, kind of crumbling, doomed losers who still have their gorgeous but looks. The, but right. the film, the right. film was the film was basically a black and white depiction of a kind of idealized party in which astonishingly beautiful, half naked men and women, young men and women. Um, kind of loll around the pool and chase each other down kind of hotel corridors spraying foam and such like <laughs> all in the most gorgeously shot black and white right and which I, the pet shop boys are my favorite or one of my favorite bands at the time and and, and still are but i found the video astonishingly alienating and kind of you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it seemed to be the, and the you know because i was taking from the lyrics a kind of positive you know you can make something of yourself type message which actually the the, the lyrics are slightly more nuanced than, than, than that but um and then this video was kind of basically a sort of, I felt a kind of slap in the face to sort of, you know, the kind of geeky, nerdy, non-strike opposed, non-glamorous people yeah. who I was and knew. Yeah. Um, and I think probably that's part of the kind of, you know, I was getting some of that similar tension from Vogue that, that 
that there's this you know the scene that she's that she's taking it from which is the which i didn't know anything about at the time because the enemy in its discussion of this hip new dance thing vogue had kind of not really discussed the gay ballroom scene of harlem that it had sprung from at all yeah um which is kind of the thing yeah which is kind of the point of it so so but but it would you know and it it's sort of the world that it was kind of depicting was completely different. It's it's like a sort of third ethos of the dance floor. You have the you have the kind of pick up ethos of the dance floor, where 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 you're kind of playing with with um, sort of gay and straight disco scenes in disco clone and and sort of you know which is being critiqued. Um, and and you've got the kind of peace, love, unity, and respect ethos of the dance floor, which was what House was kind of about. Um, and most videos for House Records at this time are kind of you know very much kind of United Colours of Benetton style. Yeah. People kind of grooving around in, sort in a of, muddy field. In, well, yeah, in, in a sort of muddy field or in something in, or, or in, with in, a blue background. Yeah, in a studio <laughs> with kind of like sort of overlaid graphics and and such like. But they're basically the, you know it is it is like yeah. black and white boys and girls uniting in in House. Like um, nomads, I want to give you devotion. Yeah. Uh, in particular, it's very much but, uh, them. So we're all getting together with a big party on stage. Everyone's invited, and like it's all very much hands in the air. Like you just don't care. But, but with Vogue, the concept of the dance floor is all about performance and competition, and and you know it's it's a competitive thing. And like to get to get to be an icon, to get to be a the, on the sort of superstar level that Madonna is kind of sort of you know she's got her roll call of icons and as mark says she's situating herself in this roll call of icons and it's kind of a, mm-hmm. a sort of challenge it's basically saying my performance my act of voguing is to be an icon like these like these people um and there's a kind of chess ladder of icons and it's kind of like right i'm going to challenge you know hmm. well it's it's more like a pantheon of icons i don't yeah, think it's a chess, no, no, ladder. It's a chess ladder. <laughs> you actually rise you get to the bit where you can look down from olympus at the mere people well and this is this is this has very much to do with um the the scene the in these gay and transgender uh transsexual uh dance clubs in uh new york at the time at least as i understand it from watching the documentary paris is burning which is exactly the what madonna watched and what everybody else watched and i'm sure yeah, she went down to these like clubs 1989 as well. isn't it the film was made yeah, yeah. and yeah. malcolm mclaren watched it and malcolm mclaren which well, we, we, McLaren, can, we can play this mclaren at uh, least has the justification he did know a lot about fashion i mean one of his mm-hmm. like, the secret dimension to malcolm mclaren is that fashion was a was not a closed book to him at all which but, and, and, to and, everyone yeah. in the world he actually tends to be assumed to be operating in shut door <laughs> but not for him he could see through that door but he um i mean there's it's uh the the whole the whole st- style of voguing and the whole ethos of a lot of these balls was about people uh you know dre- acting out their fantasies of being like the people that they see in magazines you know and so it's a funny thing for madonna to come along who is somebody who's in magazines and saying oh wait i can be like people in magazines too well, you've got to remember but no, she's, she's not really saying that. What she's saying is, I am now people in magazines. Mm-hmm. I was what I was reading magazines. Now I am that. Right. Now it's your turn. Right. That's not really how the song comes across. But that is essentially what I think. Her man- why I think of it as her manifesto. It's like, okay, I'm here now. Your turn. What, 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 okay, so I, I just want to play something really, yeah. really quickly. There's a guy, uh, Terry Temlitz, who uh, last year. Um, had the album of the year on the Resident Advisor website, and um, this particular song is uh, is called uh, "Baller," uh, Madonna Free Zone, and he's uh, he's not really a Madonna fan. He he's also not a fan of the of the um, this kind of ethos I was describing before of uh, the house music saying, "Yeah, well, you know, we're all just the same, and it's all great, and everything." Uh, he kind of has a feeling that house music is. A, Sort of a painful and lonely place for a lot of people, and um, and is very specific to the to the clubs, to the scenes, to the people that are there, rather than just being like you know, house music is universal. Anyway, he um, he has he has this song uh, on this record. Uh, he also goes by DJ Sprinkles, by the way, <laughs> which is what this record, uh, which is what this this uh, which is the name on on his record. Um, anyway, here it is, uh, Baller Madonna Free Zone. And this is just like the last two minutes of what's a much longer song.
taken a very specific and very weird transgender and Latino and African American phenomenon and totally erase that context with lyrics about how it makes no difference if you're black or white, if you're a boy or a girl. And Madonna was taking in tons of money while the queen who actually taught her how to vote was sitting at a table in front of me, wrote me. So if anybody requested any vote or any other Madonna track, I just don't know. This is a Madonna free zone. And as long as I'm DJing, you will not be allowed to vote to the decontextualized, reified, corporatized, liberalized, neutralized, asexualized, regenderized pop reflection of this dance floor in reality. Right. So just in case you had trouble hearing exactly what he was saying through the layers of processing and reverb there, um, he says, when Madonna came out with her hit Vogue, you knew it was over. She'd taken a very specifically queer, transgendered, Latino and African-American phenomenon and totally erased that context with her lyrics about how it makes no difference if you're black or white, if you're a boy or a girl. Madonna was taking in tons of money while the queen, who actually taught her how to Vogue, was sitting at a table in front of me, broke. Uh, so if anybody requested Vogue or any other Madonna track, I told them, no, this is a Madonna-free zone. As long as I'm DJing, you will not be allowed to Vogue to the decontextualized, reified, corporatized, liberalized, neutralized, asexualized, regenderized pop reflection of this dance floor's reality. Someone's got a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Um, what do you, first of all, okay, just first of, my first question here is, does it really make a lot of sense to talk about Madonna like not being real enough? Yeah, I mean, she, we've got to remember, she is a pop star. She's a very shrewd businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She's trying to make a lot of money and maintain her image as uh, being uh, an amazing force of pop Yeah, Yeah, well, so what? You know, British Petroleum's a business. Their job is to make money. That doesn't mean they can just do whatever means, they want. It means she's going to be a, like, a, a hard-nosed uh businesswoman sometimes but that's not an excuse for anything i mean i think that this is the sort of first example of madonna maybe it's not quite the first but it's 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 an example of something that madonna will now do for the rest of her career after 1990 which is magpieing which is taking a kind of current interesting and exciting sound and dance style and it kind of she she becomes a magpie she becomes very interested in this you know she works with the the kind of french sort of daft punk sound later on she works with timbaland later on she right. she gets into um to the kind of sort of trip hoppy sound and and works with massive attack and 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 so on and i think that the main difference here which which um timlitz is kind of getting angry about is that the the collaborators in this particular case the queen who talked to how to vogue aren't getting paid, whereas obviously Massive Attack and, and Bjork and um, uh, Merways and all those kind of people that she works with later on do get paid, yeah. you know, and, and, and negotiate their cuts Shep, up I th- front. I think, I, think, I think Shep Pettibone got paid on this. Yeah, one. Shep Pettibone got paid <laughs> in biscuits. <laughs> um, we, we are going to want everyone who's listening to this uh, to reply on the comments thread uh, without go- using Google Images what your own image of Shep Pettibone is, by the way. And we want as much description as possible. Just see if he looks a little rough. You can <laughs> start with the breed. Boom! <laughs> I, I think there's two there's two things odd going on in what Temlet says there. I'd be interested to know exactly when he says it. I know he released it last year, but yeah. I'd be interested to know when it was recorded. I think uh, fairly recently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and where, who is he being a DJ for? Is it, He's somewhere where there's this stream of... <laughs> transgendered latino african american well, punters coming up to him and say play madonna play madonna and he's saying no it, or is he who is he, is he at a wedding <laughs> yeah exactly who who's he who's I'll he play the grease mega man. who's he applying the austerity to because right. i think he says he uses the word as soon as someone says something is totally decontextualized you think you begin to think well totally is obviously too strong strong word if it was totally decontextualized then what Madonna would, was doing would have no effect on voguing. He wouldn't be able to say, you knew voguing was over and it's totally decontextualised. The totally is too big a word for that. And what he's actually, what I think is actually going on here, I mean, I, I think he's genuinely angry. I think he has a cause to be angry and he's unhappy. But Madonna is really the symbol of something which is... Which is uh, a more complicated thing, which is actually, I think, part of the core of his his sadness or the the sadness that he recognises, 
in this gay culture. And I think you've got this um, group of people who consider themselves despised, excluded, bullied, who are keeping each other company and uh, sort of comforted and supported by playing this game over quite a long period of time. I mean, it, mm-hmm. voguing in some ways, although it can't be that similar, but in some ways goes all the way back to the 1930s. And they're doing it by borrowing or using images from what you might call the overculture, mm-hmm. which, which is the culture which excludes them. And the point, the thing that's happened here is that the overculture is looking at them. The overculture has suddenly taken notice of them and has spoiled this game that made things better. And that's what I think he is upset and angry about, that that it's Madonna's eyes are the eyes of the overculture. And it's it's kind of made doubly bad that, that there's this sense that actually, in a way, she came up through and passed through some aspects of this overculture in her early life. And she's claiming that this is a route through to something that she's doing. And I think Tamlitz is saying... I mean, I think he's saying it incredibly um, obscurely and unclearly. I don't think this is a good um, analysis of the position at all. I think it's kind of just babbling because actually he's hurt too much and he's too angry and he knows that he's too caught up in some of the things which have made it go wrong himself or or his friends. And maybe not himself because actually the kind of music he makes is not really... It's It's more like a sort of ambient it's more like Eno really than it is is house but i, th- I think he'd say deep house but i agree, <laughs> but, but but i agree with you mark i agree with you yes um going back to the uh the sense that madonna is uh not really engaging with her public anymore she's become this austere icon and she's taking on all these uh like classic poses and, and hollywood stardom that i'm i've got my own trailer and i don't want to share with the plebs like anymore um at the even end though of, even though i'll take their dance styles uh, yeah exactly thank you very much. um at the end of the video you've got two distinct sections that kind of resolve this in a way I mean, after the the big long intro where everyone's being, being very controlled, it, it always comes back to the video. Always, always. and uh, and and the bit where she's uh, she's gone through the the rap and like uh, uh, recreated all these poses of uh, classic, you know, Lana Turner and everything, and big sort of like perfect crimped hair. Um, as the song builds up to the climax, where she goes, "Life's a bull, so get up on the dance floor," and it goes whoosh, and suddenly she's jacking away in a suit with one dude, and they've they've completely chucked all the voguing out of the window, huh. and they're just going running like sort of like Wait, no, based, okay, so sorry, like Reynolds girl, just just <laughs> just to just to try to convey that visually for you here, um, while Cat was going chunk 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 chunk. She was um, kind of doing a little running in place, kind of uh... limbs everywhere. So yeah. she's um, she's uh, running on the spot in a suit. So yeah. she's like ditched her pearls and her sort of like skimpy negligee, and she's just getting on her kecks from like she's been at work, and she her and this one other dude are just get you know having a good time. They're yeah. just dancing together, and that is kind of her her personal interaction with the listener in a way and that leads on to the final bit where everybody is dancing suddenly everyone who's been in the video so far the maid who is dusting the three guys who are voguing and her her mate in the suit they all come out together in this nice black background so there's no context behind them at all it's just black oh indeed and and they just they just go for it and and that is the rave context that is their muddy field it doesn't matter where they are they are just doing it (laughs) and like making stupid poses with their hands and it's amazing and i and she i feel that that part is where she's symbolizing she's not really she may be, she's pretending at all this film star, starlet bits, but she really, really, she's just one of us and she just likes dancing. Um, we, sorry, we need to move on to the, to the, um, to the actual vote tally, the, the vote tallying here. Ah, there it is. Okay. So I think this isn't going to skip. Um, and, um, you know, out, if you're listening to this, you can use this time to make your own marks out of 10. I th- that's what we're going to be doing here. Um, Tom, is there anything else that you'd like to um, to add before we uh, before we get to the the tallying point of things? Uh, no, um, the uh, not really. No, I, you know, 
It's a good record, but how good? <laughs> Maybe it's a bad record. Maybe it's terrible. If you're listening, Terry Timberlake, you know, the low end of the scale is a one, um, and the high end is a ten, but there aren't noughts. Yeah, there are no noughts. And the comments box is open to everyone. The comments box is open to everyone, yeah. What mark did Jive Bunny get, Tom? Uh, Jive Bunny's Let's Party got a one, but his other records got a two and a three. There was kindness even to the bunny. <laughs> um, I just want to mention to everybody that there's a record that we haven't. We were, we got so carried away with everything else, we didn't get a chance to play it. There's, this isn't the first number one about voguing. Uh, it is actually the first number one about. No, oh, no, 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 no. There was a uh, 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 Malcolm McLaren and the Bootsilla Orchestra reached number one on the uh, on the Billboard Hot Dance Club Play chart with uh, with a song called uh, Deep in Vogue, which we haven't. We haven't really played here uh, at all. By really, I mean we haven't played it at all. Um, it is nine minutes long. It is really long. <laughs> well, there's there's it's a couple of versions. Good. There's a there's a there's a Bonji realness version, which I think is really good. It's worth seeking out if you can. Um, and maybe we'll try to make that available somehow on FreakyTrigger.co.uk for you to listen to. Um, I think it's great, and it came out a year before this song, actually. Yeah. So, if and and uh, it also it gives shout outs to a lot of the various the specific dancers and, and house and mothers houses, in yeah. uh, in Paris is burning. So, if Terry Timlitz, uh, you know, is interested in realness, Malcolm McLaren, non real, non realer. totally voguing right now by the way i hope you are out there too cat was supposed to rap over that. She was rapping. She was mouthing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your levels weren't up, Kat. Thanks, Eli. (laughs) You probably spared everyone. Right, so it's time now to just let everyone know um, uh, what marks out of ten you gave this song. Uh, Mark? Eight. Eight. Cat? Ten. And Tom? Nine. Whoa! All right, nine. It is. Uh, I give it a a straight-up nine as well. Um, That's all the time we have. Uh, Thanks for listening. We've been Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. You're listening to Resonance FM 104.4 in London. Bye-bye. Marilyn Monroe said, It's not true I had nothing on. I had the radio on. If you're hearing this, you have Resonance 104.4 FM on.